Hello, and welcome to Everything Acting Podcast. We come to you from the capital of the world, New York City. My name is Darby Worley. And I'm Roz Coleman. Join us as we inform, inspire, and demystify the actor's journey. Today on the show, we have Geneva Carr. Geneva Carr is an all-around wonderful human being and um, an actor I wanted to interview because we had this sim- a similar experience of um, meeting our husbands online at uh, in our 40s. And I just thought it, it, it brought to mind to me how I, I think acting is, or um, dating is a special challenge for actors as just, you know, being our friends is a special challenge and, um, and living with us. And so I wanted to talk to her about that experience. She also married a, non, a non-artist. Um, so that interview is great. And then in the meantime, between the time that we decided to get together and the time the, the interview actually happened, she went and booked a day on Broadway show. So we're talking about that too. Well, great. What show is she in? It's called Hand to God, and it's an original production. She plays the lead. Um, it's very exciting. Oh, that's awesome. I was just at the, hmm. oh, yeah, the Gypsy of the Year Award, and it's for um, all the money that all the Broadway shows and off-Broadway shows raise for Equity Fights AIDS, and they give the money to the Actors Fund. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was the 40th celebration of the production of The Wiz, oh. and I <laughs> know. It's the, the Wiz is 40 years old? Yes. Oh, yes. my God. It was my first Broadway show ever. Wow. And um, <laughs> it was so awesome because they had, of course, they did a big performance. All the shows do a performance. Over $5 sure. million dollars was raised. And they had some of the original cast members from The Wiz performing. Uh-huh. And when I was a kid, I used to listen to the record and I used to listen to them singing those songs. They sang, If You Believe. They Mm -hmm. sang, Be a Lion. And there's this one part in Be a Lion where I used to sing it and be like, okay, you have to see me in my little (laughs) den TV room with my head laying next with my head next to the speaker hitting my head on the pillow singing, just keep on trying. That's me in high school, right? And um, oh. and then I was there in the audience, and Ken Page, the same guy, the same lion from the record, was singing that very lyric. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, that is awesome. It was so awesome. I so felt like I made it. Oh, that is awesome. So what was that like for you 40 years ago as a young Black girl to go to your first Broadway show and see all those Black people up there when you didn't get to see that many of them on TV back then? I, I don't. I was so in awe of that show. I I can't imagine that my mouth shut. I mean, it was like after each number, you want to see the number again. There was so much coming at you that my memory of the actual show is not as strong as my memory of, you know, falling in love with the show and memorizing the show and all the actors and the voices and like, it's like when I saw the show, it was just like a moment, but the, the record and, the, and my imagination of the show is just amazing. Mm. So it was everything. I mean, I thought that show was everything. Yeah. yeah, it's one of my favorite movies. I didn't see it on Broadway, but it's one of my all-time favorite movies. Love, love, love. And then, wait, wait um, one more thing. Oh, they, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. The lyrics of the music is so freaking incredible. <laughs> and and um, when they're like, can you feel a brand new day? Everybody wake up. Oh. <laughs> oh my God. It just feels like, oh, you are talking to my soul. Oh, that's beautiful. And it stands up. It stands up 40 years later, doesn't it? Oh my gosh. Yes. It was, I mean, they did it, you know, they do it in the street clothes. Um, they're on stage, but they, you know, a little choreography, but it's very much, they're just standing there. But I was completely enthralled. Oh, and Andre De Shields, who played the wizard, was in his original costume. Wow. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, that's impressive. Doesn't it feel good to like to just to go be reinvigorated? I mean, I think about, you know, the 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 um the idea of an artist date where you have to take your inner artist out for some stimulation and inspiration at times. It sounds like you are brimming, overflowing with inspiration. Yes, I'm trying to write a blog post about it, but you know, I just it just happened yesterday, so I'm still I'm still, you know, all crazy. Yeah. Well, I felt that way after talking with Geneva Carr because she is such a lovely human being and she's so 
humble and excited, almost in a childlike way, um, to go to the movies and to do her art. And I just, I'm, I'm really excited to share this interview with you guys. So without further ado, here is Geneva Carr. So welcome back. You're listening to Everything Acting Podcast. My name is Darby Worley, and I'm sitting here now with the fabulous Geneva Carr, <laughs> who is on quite an upswing in her career. We'll talk about that later, but we like to always start at the beginning. So mm-hmm. when did you know, or when did you decide that you were an actor? Uh, well, my story's a little weird because I went to undergraduate in the States. I went to Mount Holyoke. Then I went to grad school in Paris. I went to ESCP, which is a business school, a very good business school in France. And I was a banker, and I sold derivatives. That's the job that brought the world down, unfortunately. Um, So I was working in Paris. I graduated, and then I got transferred to New York for just a short-term gig. And while I was in New York, I ended up seeing a play at Ensemble Studio Theater. And it was so astounding that I thought, what am I doing with my life? So I quit banking. Wow. Yeah. It was crazy. I didn't know that. Now, did you train as an actor? Did you do any acting when you were a kid or anything? Uh, No. I mean, you know, in high school, I was Aunt... Abigail and Arsenic and Olays, which you know, I draw that experience a lot. <laughs> like you, that was the dream uh, role. Yeah. You know, I had to put wrinkles in my face yeah, then at yeah. 15. Yeah, oh, that's fantastic. I did not know that. See, I came to acting later in life too, so we have that in oh, common as well. I, mean, I was way older, I was like mid 30s. Um, so, how did you do it? Like, like I mean, how, like, well, could you mind me asking how old you were when you made this decision? And I what? was 30, I was just okay. turning 30. Um, how I did it, you know, I think when you're young, and I graduated from college, been working for a couple of years, graduated grad school, I went right into grad school, I think you're young and naive, and I thought, oh, it'll be easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and ironically, I think it it was easy initially because the universe was trying to tell me to go for it, so my first play ever, I got my equity card, okay. and the crazy story on that is, you know, like everybody else, you sign up for acting lessons, mm-hmm. and I signed up with an amazing teacher, uh, Jane Hoffman who has passed on and who was one of my closest friends ever. But I'm doing uh, something from Speed the Plow in her class. And one of the guys in class said, hey, uh, the theater down the street, the cloggers of Minnesota can't do their show. Could you, could we fill in? So we did one performance of Speed the Plow, and I got my equity card oh, my on one show because the cloggers weren't there one night. <laughs> so they paid us for a week, and we rehearsed, and we did that show, and that's how I got my equity card. And like everything else, you know, I, I went to Backstage, which is still a great resource. I took commercial acting class, which was fantastic, at Wiest Baron. I, I won their scholarship. I, I did thought, too. Oh, this is bizarre. We have so much in common. It's creepy. <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah. So I took that and I started working and, you know, I joined SAG pretty quickly on a commercial gig and... And then the universe said, but we're not going to make it that easy. And I waited tables, and I probably served you drinks at Novotel a few years back. And mm. those are the kind of things that happen. But I just started working. And there are a million ways to skin a cat. Sometimes I get self-conscious because I didn't go to grad school, and I didn't go to acting school, and I don't know any Shakespeare, and I never did the classics. Um, but there's a million ways to make it happen. My way's just different, but we all get to the same place. And your training is life. My training... I wrote every casting director in the city and said, could I be a reader? I'm free and I'm reliable. And I learned how to act by watching some of the greatest people in the world audition, which was fabulous. So... Oh, that's crazy! I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just like your floor that we have so right much in common. That we, that we have so much in common because, like, well, I came out of a business background as well, and I was a sales rep for CareerBuilder.com for seven years, and I. I hit up Elsie Stark, and I worked for Elsie for three or four years as an assistant, so that Adrian I could get Stern. To know. I worked for Adrian That's Stern. That's amazing! Wow. See, I remember, the first time I remember seeing your name was on submissions when I was doing casting with Elsie. So, yeah, that, that's a that's a lot of. <laughs> A lot of common ground. So, how did you find your agent? Like, like so you so you got your equity card. You well, did the you did the one play. You got your equity card. Then what happened? Well, that's the thing. I, I used to coach a lot younger actors, and you know, actors always think, "Oh, if I get an agent, my whole life is sad. I need an agent. If I just get that agent, I was making a living acting before I got an agent. I joined Equity. I joined SAG. I was doing commercials. My first professional play was at Playwrights Horizons, mm-hmm. and. That's where somebody saw me. They saw me in a show. It was actually Deb Jackal, who's now teaching. Esper. Yes. Yeah. And she was at Abrams at the time. 
and she happened to be there opening night, and James Clare was the casting director. Mm-hmm. So she said, you know, who's voice number two? That was my character. Although it was a great part. It was in um, Christopher Durang's Betty Summer Vacation. So oh, voice number two was actually... Were you, were you off stage, the voice number two? Or were you no, just, we actually... Um, the first act, we listened to the play. We actually watched the play on a screen and were entertained. We were the laugh track, so I have a crazy laugh. And the second act, we broke through the ceiling and demanded to be entertained. Oh, wow. And I met Chris at a party, and I remember he kept staring at me every time I laughed, and I thought, isn't he gay? Why is he staring at me? <laughs> and then the next day I got a call from his agent saying, Chris wrote a play, would you read this role in a reading? Wow. And again, I did reading after reading after reading, mm-hmm. and it finally happened. But I, So Deb saw me at Playwrights Horizons. I had a meeting with her. I signed, and she left within two weeks to go to Esper. And they sign you across the board at Abrams, so it was a phenomenal experience. But you still care more about your career than anybody else. So sometimes after... What year was this? Oh, God. Uh, 2000? Okay. Uh, Okay. Was it 2000? Yeah, it was 2000. Um, So they've been truly my first and only agents. There were other agents that I freelanced with. I got some very bad advice from agents because, again, nobody cares as much about your career as you do. And actors love to complain about agents. I couldn't complain about Abrams because the commercial and legit sides are very different, and I'm with both of them. But, you know, agents, they don't hold your hands. And legit, they're not hand holders, but they are amazing at negotiating for you, and they truly care. They're just not going to coddle you when they care about you. And actors forget that. They're business people, and they're exceptional but you still have to do the legwork. And, you know, I'm a grown-up. I don't need my hand held. And commercially, they're kind of crazy. They, they throw me out for 35 to 55-year-olds. I mean, they're the most <laughs> aggressive agents in the business for commercial and voiceover work. Yeah, see, I'm with them for commercial voiceover and hosting. And I would say the same thing. Oh. Like, they, they, like, like Mark Turner and hosting is they a, are, a god. Yeah, they're, they're all gods in commercial. And legit, they just, in commercial and voiceover and hosting, they're so aggressive about what they think they, that you can do. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's, they come to see everything. Mm-hmm. They know what you can do. They they go down on your age. They go up on your age. They're just desperate to get you work. They're phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And legit, it's a different, it's almost a different agency. Mm-hmm. But whatever I want to do, they support it and they negotiate. And if I get offered a job, they'll tell me not to take it if it's not good enough. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, recently I've, I've been working a lot and they're so aggressive about contracts and stuff. So I'm very happy with them. That's awesome. And so talk a little bit about, we're going to jump around a little bit, but talk a little bit about the early days. You said you did, you waited tables. What were some of the other ways um, that you kept yourself busy when acting jobs weren't happening? Well, I have to be honest, acting jobs have never not been happening. Money jobs might not be happening. And that's the best thing that New York has to offer. I... I always did readings. I mean, I did state anybody that I liked, a writer that I wanted to work with, a director I wanted to work for, a casting director I was desperate to meet. I said, oh, I'll do stage directions. I'm really reliable. Never said I was good because who can say if we're good? But it's a way to get your foot in the door. I worked a lot at EST when I first started. I did my first reading at EST. This is that is so <laughs> crazy. But yeah. at EST, I, I swear to God, I can play that six degrees of separation, mm-hmm. the six degrees of you know Kevin Bacon yeah. with EST because so much of my work started there. And I met so many people at different levels in their career. So I did tons of stage directions. I did tons of readings. I used to work at a theater called Miranda. Mm-hmm. Uh, theater, which wasn't on the map for, they stopped working about eight years ago. They've got their first production coming up. Um, anywhere I could get my foot in the door. Mm-hmm. I did readings at MCC. I did readings anywhere. I'm trying to think of some of the theater companies yeah. that I worked at. That, you know, that's the thing in New York. If you want to work, there's work. If you want to make money, you have to make a decision. You know, people always say there are two kinds of actors. There are actors who really crave fame and success and, and certain things or actors who really love the work. And I'm lucky that I love the work. I never consider the money. I always consider what's going to be, whether it's fulfilling. They say that there are, a friend of mine's dad says, this is how you choose whether you take a job. Is it artistically fulfilling? Will it further your career? Will you make money? Mm-hmm. And if two of those are true, then you should take the job. And sometimes one of those artistically fulfilling makes you take the job. But if you're doing stage directions and you're meeting someone you really want to work with or people that you want to watch work, that was my training ground. Take it. Um, as a young actor, 
backstage. Anytime I saw anything I could audition for, I did. Mm-hmm. You learn a lot. you got to be smart about it. But there's so many young theater companies in the city, and also now there's so many web series being done. I've done several of them. People, I guess, can do them. I'm, I'm too old to understand the computer, but I'm that's, viral. That's untrue. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> but for a young actor, there are a million things that you can do to get involved. I, I always say, if you like somebody's work, ask them. And if you like a theater company's work, just start going. There's The Flea that Jim Simpson's doing. I was a doing. member at The Flea. Oh, God. Yeah. I would love to have yeah. Yeah. But there are so many things. The Labyrinth, The Flea, MTC, MCC, Playwrights Horizons, Signature. If you like the work, just show up and you will start working. That's what I think. Yeah. How did you get the job at Playwrights? Go back to that first professional job. Was that, was that, the, that's not the, one, was that the one where Christopher heard you laugh? Yeah. I okay. was at a party and Chris Durang kept looking at and me. And that's where you got your agent. looking okay. at me? And that's where I got my agent. I did a job at Playwrights. But again, I did several readings for him. And then when it came down to it, um, I was told that they were going to go uh, non-white with the role. Mm. But as a courtesy, they were going to let me audition. So instead of being uppity or high-minded or full of myself, I said, fine, I've never been into Playwrights Horizons. I'll take this audition. Mm-hmm. So I went. I got a call back. I couldn't believe it. It was me and a bunch of black girls, and I got lucky. Mm. And it can happen. They went, they went African-American with another role in the play. Mm. And... That's something that happens. I've been replaced. I will be replaced. Um, maybe I'll <laughs> replace people, but y- you can't. You can't ever get fully yourself. I was working one of my side jobs. I was working at Pastis when it first opened. Mm-hmm. And do you know what Jennifer Dundas is? Um, I hope I'm. Wait a minute. Is she like she was in, she is. Is she she's an American actress? Pie? No, she's no. A, she's a theater actress, and I want to say she was in Arcadia. Mm. Um, because I remember I was working at Pastis, and a producer called, and I thought, oh my god. <laughs> and he said, listen, can you get a job for Jennifer Dennis? God, I, I hope I'm getting this name right, Jennifer Dennis. Um, at, you know, hostessing. And I was like, oh, didn't I just see her in Arcadia? And she, I got her a job, and she worked wow. there a week, and then she got another Broadway show, and yeah. now I think Blue Marble Isn't that crazy, is though, to, 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 to think about somebody that you, that, if you're just starting out, or say you don't have the level of success that you, that you hope for, and you see someone like that, and you think, that, oh, that person's got it all sorted. You never have it but, all sorted. Yeah. You never, and she was the sweetest girl in the world. I mean, she worked there a week. Mm-hmm. But I, I just, I couldn't believe it because it, it taught me a lesson that, to me, I just couldn't believe I was standing next to someone who was, in my mind, who is so incredibly talented. Who I thought was famous. Yeah. And you can never get full of yourself or ahead of yourself because there are going to be setbacks like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're always going to pay your dues. You're never done. The minute you think you're done, that's when you're actually done. Mm-hmm. Because you have to do it because you love it because it's never going to be easy. You're going to have to pay your dues and... If you enjoy it, you're okay. Um, I guess Do you like auditioning? I love auditioning. I, I'm Talk one about of those that. people. To me, it's whether it's voiceover, it's commercial, whether it's legit work, if it's a play or a movie, I get five to 15 minutes in the room to perform where I get to show them what I would do. And I love to perform, and I love an audience, and whether that audience is one person or a room full of people, because sometimes for theater work, you have 10 or 12 people in the room. I just love to audition. It's an opportunity to perform. So to me, that's my job. I'm a professional auditioner, and I break up auditioning with work. So I'm one of the lucky ones. How do you talk yourself off the ledge after an audition that you don't feel good about? Does that happen for you? Oh, God, it happens all the time. And what's worse to me is the auditions that you go, and I had an audition, a big audition recently for TV, uh, big casting director, whom I know, mm-hmm. but it was all improv. And they said, oh, yeah, I'm not going to say what the project is because it'll get made, obviously, without me. But uh, she said it, it was all improv. They said, here are some situations of this TV show. You're going to just have to make it up. So I went crazy thinking, improv, I'm not a writer, I can't write for myself, what does that mean? What if the reader isn't any good? So I get to the audition, all the women are obviously in their 30s, and I'm not, and they're cute as buttons, and I think this is pointless. And I said to them, are you nervous? Have you ever had to do this? Everybody acted cool as a cucumber, I thought, oh, they must be with UCB, what am I doing here? I go in the room, I do the first scene, and it's one of those magic moments, 
And the casting director says, oh, my God, you are so funny. And I, really? I am? <laughs> I do the second scene. Oh, my, you know exactly what you're doing, don't you? God, the way you built that scene and you broke it down and then you turned on a dime. And, of course, I never heard. But that's not my job. My job is to just deliver. And I thought, oh, my God, the acting gods are with me. I delivered. But they may want someone younger, prettier, funnier, famous, fatter, thinner, ethnic, non-ethnic. It doesn't matter because all I, I performed in that moment and I delivered and I had a fantastic time. It was beyond me. And I thought, hey, I had a great show. I had a great set. That's when you're done. And my husband, I remember, had said, oh, God, you're going to get this. And I said, mm, no, I wouldn't give it to me. But, God, I was good in that moment. So those things happen just as you go in and you just stink up the room. I have stunk up that room. <laughs> and it, it teaches you to be humble because Meryl Streep can stink up the room. Mm -hmm. We all can. The acting gods that put it in your favor and make you magic in one moment, that's why they're acting gods. That's why it's not a job. It's art. And if you're really doing art, you're going to screw up sometimes. And I bet Meryl would agree with me. Mm -hmm. How did you discover your type and, and, and learn how to market yourself? That's a fantastic question because I think it's taken me so long because I didn't know what my type was. I, I think knowing your type is being realistic about who you are. Um, for women... It's getting over what we are on the outside because there's so much pressure to be young and attractive. And God, by the time I started, I wasn't young and attractive anymore. I'm not sure I ever was young and attractive. But being your type is not only seeing sort of what social background you play and um, you know who you are in terms of your uh, you know the girl next door or a uh, mom. But being honest about knowing yourself. And um, Chris Gorman, who used to be a casting director mm -hmm. at CBS and then did drama development for CBS, was, was a friend and someone I truly looked up to. And we were, I was in a summer camp kind of a situation where it was a week away. Jane Hoffman, uh, Chris Gorman, let me try to remember these names, uh, Stuart Spencer, a fabulous playwright, mm -hmm. and John McCormick, who's a producer. They would invite actors, writers, directors, all on different levels to go away uh, upstate, and we would work on new material. And some of it would be site-specific and interesting. And they said, oh, Chris, you know, some of these actors are new. Could you give them some advice about the business? And he sat down with us, you know, upstate at these picnic tables. We were in cabins. And he said, I'm going to give you the best advice about the business you're ever going to get. Work on yourself. If you're out of shape, get in shape. If you've got substance abuse issues, get, get in a program and get some help. If you're messed up emotionally, go to therapy. Be the most true self you can possibly be. Be healthy, be understanding about who you are. Never pick a role because you think, hey, I got great abs and I'm gonna take my shirt off and they're gonna see my body and cast me. He said, only pick work that you truly believe in beyond the page, beyond ever thinking you're going to get cast. And when you're ready, we will find you. Don't worry about finding us. Mm. And when I've been discouraged and scared or depressed about not being far enough along in my career, I always remember that. i got to get emotional. I miss him. If you do it because you believe in it, they'll find you. Oh, that's very sweet. <laughs> Um, so I'm hearing a, a couple of the things that you've said. You talked, you mentioned the universe earlier, and you you talked um, about how what you believe becomes your reality. So how do you keep yourself spiritually grounded, sane in this business? I'm I'm, I'm guessing that you have a spiritual life because of the things that you said. Is that true? I, I, you know, I don't know that I do. Yeah. Um, I'm an atheist. Mm -hmm. Uh so I'm not sure. I guess I'm talking about your mental state and your like your. When I say spirit, I mean your your inner life. And well, I think I've I've been lucky enough to be with uh, to have known people who've helped me connect with something beyond myself. Um, it's 
having people that you admire in your life. I mentioned Jane Hoffman, who is a brilliant actress and acting teacher. Chris Gorman. Um, Daniel Judah Scalar was a teacher when I was young, who's still a very good friend, a writer. I guess I've always been surrounded by people that believe in me, but that I believe in beyond auditions or money or little work. There are people that have really supported me and the projects that I've gravitated towards, I mean, I guess we're going to talk about the most exciting thing that's happened to me, which is <laughs> hand to God. Um, yeah. I was involved in a theater company that's under the auspices of Ensemble Studio Theater. It's a writing group they have called Young Blood. Young Blood is for writers under 30, and it's a program run by Graham Gillis and RJ. I can't believe I'm forgetting RJ's name. That's okay. Oh, we'll have to Google it. I'm insane. <laughs> um, uh, it'll come to me. Yeah. Um, they take young writers under 30 and they help them develop their own voice. And it is a fabulous organization. I just did a brunch for them recently. They do these writing exercises where they say, here's a theme. You have a week, write a play. And they just give them actors. Or they say, here are a couple actors, write something for them. And so they work under these short periods where they have to come up with something. So it develops a different muscle. They don't write from nothing, but they write from something, but it makes them develop what they want to write about. And about four years ago now, I guess 2010, 2011, I met a writer named Robert Askins. And I met him um, in this group, Youngblood, and he was writing. I did a couple of plays for him. Uh, part of them were in brunches or in the marathon that EST does. And all different actors work with them. And Stephen Boyer is another actor that worked with him, who's a genius. And Rob ended up, as part of Youngblood, and just writing and developing what, how he speaks and what his language is, he wrote a play called Hand to God. We did our first reading of it in 2011. And it's a play about a mother and a son dealing with the death of the father. And the mother ends up going to the church for solace. And she creates, uh, with the pastor, a puppet ministry for teens. And her son is in this ministry, and his puppet ends up becoming possessed by the devil. Or not. <laughs> and the first time we did a reading of this play, Stephen Boyer, they said, hey, you know, we don't know what we're going to do. We're, we're going to bring you an oven mitt just to suggest a puppet. Well, Steve actually made a puppet out of a, a sock, a tube sock. Mm -hmm. And the first time we did the reading... He had two distinct voices, two distinct personalities, something like that. He is an incredibly skilled actor. He's got a great imagination, but at the same time, he was channeling something. Mm -hmm. And he was two different characters. It was astounding from the moment go, and the play is funny, funny, funny. We kept doing readings. We ended up doing a reading at the Southampton's Writers' Conference. Again, these are all ways that you just develop... Nobody was giving us any money. Yeah. The Southampton Writers Conference, they asked DST, hey, do you have some actors that could do some ratings of material that our writers are bringing in? They brought us in. We did an acting uh, writing class, actually, with Emily Mann and read new pages of writers from 22 to 70 every day. So you just have to let it come in and see what's on the page. So we do a reading of Rob Askin's play at the Southampton Writers Conference with Moritz von Stuppenagel, the director, and that is when I knew we had something astounding because Moritz understood the comedy of the play but also the deep meaning in the play and this play is deep mm -hmm. it's about life and forgiveness and recognizing who you are and how you go through tragedy how that makes you who you are and how people connect so this mother and son can't seem to connect she you know, goes off the wheels too and does crazy things. I don't want to tell you because I hope you see it. Yeah. Um, but it's about the darkest parts of ourself and how we find our way back to who we are, to forgiving each other. Uh, and the son has the same journey or a similar journey. And it is 
powerful, and it's a play that... And you're the mom. I'm is the it, mom. Is it just the two of you in the show? Or there no, it's uh, the mother and the son, mm-hmm. and his puppet, who's a whole other character, yeah. uh, who has his own following on Twitter. <laughs> and then there's the, the pastor who lets us use his church. And it's, you know, I come from the Deep South, and this play is... It doesn't offend anyone who's deeply religious, nor does it exclude someone like me who's not religious at all. Mm-hmm. Because, in fact, the church is where they find solace. But is it God? Is it spirituality? Is it humans just reaching out to each other? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's also uh, a young boy who is victims to some of my shenanigans. <laughs> um, the play is going to Broadway. There's a young yeah, so girl. Tell, so we can so, back up a little okay. bit. So this is very exciting. This, yes. this is your first time on Broadway. This is yet. my first time on Broadway. Okay, this is fucking fantastic. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. So I think, so when you got emotional a minute ago, I feel yeah. like that's got to be partial. When you say that you just do your, do your work and, and make yourself your best and then the baby will eventually find you, do you not feel like you're finally being found? Oh, don't make me start crying. <laughs> <sighs> Like, what yeah, does that feel I, like I feel like you? I'm. I feel like I'm doing it for everybody who's been doing a showcase. I mean, this show started with readings. We did four or five readings. It was a showcase. It was a letter of agreement. It was a mini contract. It went off Broadway to a nonprofit theater, MCC, and now it and is. And then you were like schlepping your cookies out to Connecticut oh, for a while to do this show, and you got your ribs <gasps> broken. I mean, you've been through it. Oh, that was a different show. Oh, that was a different show. Oh, that was a different show. Yeah, believe me, I have scars on my arms from this show. Because that's the thing. We, we did our readings at EST. Then we did a, a showcase at EST. So any actor knows what a showcase is. You're supposed to get tokens. We don't get tokens anymore. We get nothing. We did a letter of agreement, which is for free. We did a mini contract at EST. It's the first time in almost 30 years that EST's done a mini contract. It was their first. Then it transferred to MCC. Then it's moving to Broadway. Um, I just. What, I, I what, what, how did you find out that it was going to Broadway? Like what? Like how did you? Like what? Tell me about that phone call or that meeting or what? Oh. Like what, what happened? Well, you get a call from your agent saying they want to go to Broadway. This is what they're offering. What do you need? And more than money, I I need a you know a vocal coach because I scream in the show and I I need some physical therapy because <laughs> it's I have a couple of scars. I threw my neck out last time we did it. It's very very physical. Um, that, that call is, it's, it's validation that is not attached to one job. It's attached to years and years of trying to make it. It's attached to everybody you've ever done a reading with, every done, everyone you've ever done a showcase with, every producer that's given you a break, every, I mean, you know, I do, you do lots of voiceovers. Mm-hmm. You, I do a lot of television mm-hmm. It's just everybody who's ever given me a shot. And it feels astounding. It's, you, you know, and then there's the rumors. You know, when when something moves like that, first of all, when it went to Off-Broadway, there were rumors. And they, are you going to be taken? Are you going to be left behind? Then when it's going to go to Broadway, there are rumors. Are you going to be left behind? And well, and, it's, and that, it is astounding that you are with coming up the whole way because so often actors don't get brought along. So often they end up hiring somebody who's got a little more fame or whatever. Well, the whole time so, you think, is Patricia Heaton, is she going to get it? Is that who's going to get my part? Yeah. You know, you start thinking, and I, I remember there were rumors that it was going to happen, and I was going to be left behind, and I told my husband, and I cried about it, and I got upset about it, and he said, well, listen, hey, you already went through it, you cried about it, so now if it happens, it's great, and if it doesn't, you know, you know life will go on, because you got so dramatic and carried on, and he's learning the ropes of being with an actor. <laughs> um, I just, I'm still astounded, I'm in awe. When is it going up? Uh, It's going up in February. I can't wait to do the work, though, because four of us on the team are going to be making our Broadway debuts. Robert Eskins, the writer, Mertz Mm -hmm. von Stuppenegel, the director, myself, and Michael Olberholzer. Sarah Stiles already has been on Broadway several times. Um, uh, Stephen Boyer has been on Broadway, who's astounding. And uh, Mark Kudish has been on Broadway and had three Tony nominations. Mm -hmm. So... It's, I'm it's, just so excited there's something new coming to Broadway that's not like the remake of a movie or... Well, that's actually the ad campaign. Um, Kevin McCullough, who is our lead producer, the, the ad campaign is... There was a huge article in the Times, a full-page ad that said, uh, no movie stars, no London transfer, no film adaptation, pray for us, hand <laughs> to God. <laughs> and he did an interview with Variety, and he said, well, I'm just we're going to embrace what we have, which is... Mm. 
it's not movie stars. The play is so good, we don't need it. Mm-hmm. This play is, it's a new voice like you've never heard on Broadway. The writing is astounding. It is so new and so different and so of its time. It's the kind of thing people will be doing for 20 years. But that's what Broadway used to be about and should be about. And I just, it's thrilling that it's happening. I think it's a sign of the times, though, in theater. I think theater is what we were just talking about this because I just came from the screening of Birdman, and I'm still delirious from seeing that movie. And that movie is about uh, an aging movie star who used to be Birdman, who is now trying to make his name in the theater. And it has so many the juxtapositions of theater stars and movie stars, and but it's bigger than that. It's about why we do what we do, and it's it, it kind of reminds me of Hand to God. That Hand to God is you've never seen anything like this. Mm-hmm. My husband, it's so funny. Um, we were dating at the time when he saw when he saw it, and he'd never seen me. He'd seen me do a lot of readings, but he'd never seen me in a full-on production. And I didn't want to tell him what it was about. Oh, Bob Lupone, one of the producers, said, oh, do you run lines with your boyfriend? And I said, no, I would never want him to know what it's about. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, God, you better prepare him. Because it's dark, it's mm-hmm. deep, and it's dirty. So one <laughs> night we were out to dinner, and he was a little tipsy. And he said, I don't care what that play's about, as long as it isn't about a mother and a son. I couldn't handle that. I thought, <laughs> um, well, it's sort of a, but there's a puppet. <laughs> and... He came to see that show, and he was floored because he wasn't prepared. What are you seeing? It's a brand new play. It it doesn't even remind me of any other play. The story is a mother and a son dealing with something, but the story of the son and his puppet is, and Stephen Boyer's performance, it is two different people. It it is something that physically it is something you've never seen, but emotionally, because he channels somebody else. It's it's the darkest part of who we really are on stage with him. He has scenes. There's a, a amazing scene with him in the bed and the puppet wakes him up. Wow. It's and he's asleep and somehow his hand is alive and awake and punching him to wake up. Yeah. It's isn't that one of the when you talk about exploring the deepest and dark the darkest sides of who we are? Isn't that part of the reason to be an actor that to be able to touch and to to dig into that stuff without actually having to live it for real? Yeah, because we we don't. I mean, I do feel like I'm living it though. I think that acting has allowed me to live that on stage and off stage and. Maybe that's why it took me so long to find a partner because mm-hmm. I have felt lucky that I'm able to articulate my feelings. You know, somebody, people always say, oh, God, don't date an actor. Don't date an yeah. actor. They're so <laughs> self-involved. <laughs> oh, Jesus, I was a banker for years. Date a banker. You want to talk about self-involved. <laughs> the difference about actors' self-absorption, because we're all self-absorbed, thank of God. Yeah is that we articulate it, we examine it, we look at it, we have to figure out what we're feeling. And that's what makes actors so crazy because they can communicate to you they're crazy. And acting has allowed me to examine every relationship I've ever had. I mean, like every good actor, I spent several years in therapy, I recommend it, but boy did this play help me deal with some demons mm-hmm. um yeah my my parents uh I have a crazy story like I'm sure everyone else does but my relationship my mother is with my mother was very complicated are your parents still around no they're both passed on and my mother uh both my parents left when I was 12 then my dad came back for a while but not very long but I lived with his second wife uh for high school um so it's complicated. Oh, it's complicated. Yeah. So this complicated relationship I had with my mother, you know, I n- never really knew her family. And when you start showing up on the Internet, people find you. And a cousin of mine, I can't believe I'm telling you this, a cousin of mine that I had seen, I guess when I was very little, and then once when I was 15, tracked me down, Jerry Duba, <laughs> and he came to see the play. So he came to see the play, and I had said when he Facebooked me, I can't socialize during work 
because it's so physically taxing and emotionally taxing, and I have to rest my voice, so I never go out after shows. Yeah. I'm one of those rare people. Um, so he came to see the show. This is a man I didn't know. And afterwards he said, oh, God, wow, because there's a couple of scenes that are... Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, you know, I was... My mother was my inspiration for this play. Mm-hmm. And he looked really appalled because this Marjorie in Hand of God's got some dark problems. Mm-hmm. And I felt terrible because I shocked this poor guy. So we take the subway. He's going to his hotel, and I'm going home. And I felt really bad about it. And then I Did you feel like you had outed your mother? Yeah. Him? yeah. Well, then he told me something really dark about my mother, which I guess kind of opened it up. Yeah. But I... I, I owned up to it, and I said, listen, my mother was a self-involved alcoholic who abandoned us, and at the same time was the woman I loved most in the world, who was an amazing mother in many respects, and incredibly loving, and her dark demons does not negate the fact that I loved her, mm-hmm. and she had so much to share and was an entertaining, creative woman, but so so. Oftentimes, actors are accused of, or perhaps admit to the fact that part of what we're doing is this is this seat, this searching for attention, validation. Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you think that any of that came from your mom? Wow. I don't. I think we are all searching for that, and and when I channel my mother, Mm. I think my mother felt that a lot more deeply than I did. I think that I've been lucky to figure out who I am and not need it as much. I I don't think she ever got that validation. Mm. Did you ever read anything by Augustin Burroughs? Augustin Burroughs, I'm not sure how we pronounce his name. Um, Running with Scissors is the book that most closely resembles my childhood. Not in terms of details, mm-hmm. but the absolute insanity and chaos the and mayhem. The, yeah. My childhood was cray-cray, yeah. and yet through it all I stayed sane. And I went to see him speak at the Y, you know, on 92nd Street. These yeah, people sure. do these talks. And he was being interviewed by, I think her name's Gail Salt. She's a psychologist that works on uh, the Today Show a lot. Mm-hmm. And I ended up sitting next to two psychologists, and I said, oh, God. Oh, I'm so excited. Why do you think he's not insane? So this woman, before I start speaking, said, oh, ego strength. I think it's ego. You know, as if I understood. Because I wonder why I am not insane. Yeah, what's the answer to that? Why are you not insane? Well, this expert said I must have very strong ego strength. Because even as a child in the midst of that kind of insanity, I knew my parents were crazy and that I wasn't crazy. And I, I have always felt like an adult inside this body, but I think the saving grace is that I have always had compassion for the crazy. And I've, I've learned how to take care of myself and get out of bad situations, but I have so much compassion. And I think that's what you need to be an actor. I don't think you need the attention but I definitely think you need the compassion. Yeah. Did you reconcile with your mom before she died? No, sadly. Yeah. Mm. I, hope, that's, I, I hope this oh, is. I, I hope that there's some kind of afterlife so she can see you. <laughs> see how amazing you are. Mm. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about one more relationship. So the whole reason that we decided to have, or I decided to have Geneva on the show, is that we were <laughs> chatting at an audition one day and realized that we were both newlyweds and we had both met our husbands, our non-actor husbands, on dating websites. And so we kind of just <laughs> got the giggles about it. And she's like, we should like write a blog about this or something. I'm like, come on my show and talk about it. Because I do think that dating presents special challenges for actors, especially in New York City. Like, New York City is just a fucked up place to try and meet anybody anyway. Everybody's you know. a fucked up place to try to meet somebody. It's difficult. <laughs> so what, what, so what, what, how did you end up online? Like, my audience knows my story, so you tell your story. Well, I was doing the original production of Hand to God with Megan Hill, who was in the original, who was genius, and uh, she was on this dating site, and I said which to one, her... Which one were you on again? Okay, Cupid. Okay, Cupid. Okay. And she said... I'm, I'm on OkCupid, and I said, oh, God, I've never done that. I'm too old. I don't understand it. Because like everybody else, I was trying to find true love. Yeah. 
Uh, and she and said, this is your first marriage. You weren't ever married before. No, this is my only marriage. Okay. People say first, and I say you mean only. Good for um, you. <laughs> when my husband asked me to marry him, he said that was my first proposal, and I said, "You mean you're only?" And he said, "I know. I just said that to please you." Um, so she was on the side, and I, I didn't know what that was, and I thought it was crazy. And she said, "I'll come over. We'll have some drinks. I'll show you how to do it." So she got me on OK Cupid. We wrote a very brief profile. I did not say that I was an actor because that's the kiss of death. I vaguely said I was an artist, nor did I give my real name. Oh. Although I did give it to my husband in our brief texting, which I find interesting. Because, of course, you're, you're very Googleable, so of course you... you yeah. Know, yeah. You, you don't want to give your name. You don't... For me, because if anybody Googles you, they're never... You, you want them just to meet you. Yeah. So, you know, in OkCupid, my name was Vanessa. And I was a visual artist. And very brief, kind of flirtatious responses. And I, over two years that I was on the site, I think I probably had coffee or a drink or dinner with 50 guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I went out on several dates with a few guys. I dated one guy for a few months. Um, I was dating, I had gone on four dates with this gorgeous and talented, successful Egyptian and then this other, you know, super rich, fabulous, interesting Indian. And, boy, you just get to put it out there, whatever you want. And my, you can see on the site who checks you out. And I could see by this postage size, yeah. postage stamp size photo that my husband had checked me out. And he's Japanese. And I was like, ooh, that's so attractive. But he hadn't said anything to me. So I responded to him. I don't remember what his profile was. I just thought he was good looking. I'm going to be honest about that. But he had mentioned Bill Maher. So I said, I miss Bill in the off season. He responded to me uh, and then said, oh, what kind of art do you do? And I said, I tell my story over coffee. The ball's in your court. He got on that site Friday night. I found him Saturday morning. We had coffee on Monday. I think he probably got about 50 messages in that time. We had coffee Monday, turned into lunch, and the rest is history. And you got married very quickly. We got married 10 months to the day we met. Yeah. But that first coffee date, you know, people say, what was it? Because I met attractive, interesting men. I Mm -hmm. I did not know the city was crawling with so many interesting men. But it's that spark. There's just something you can't quantify until you actually meet the person in person. And either either there's chemistry or there's not. You're not going to find that online. Like, you're not going to experience it online. You might might think you do. Like, I remember I, I dated one guy... And we, and we on, online, I thought, this was oh, it. I yeah, was falling so in love. This is the man, you know. And he was kind of a bigwig in our industry, actually. And then we went on a few, a few dates, and I just wasn't feeling it. You know, but, on, but online, before I met him, it was amazing. And then when I met Kelvin online, I was like, eh, probably not. He's probably not. My, he's an accountant. Like, it's probably not. The second I saw him, it, done. Oh, the second you know? I saw my husband, he approached the... We were at a Le Pain Quotidien, and he approached the table... And I got this like wave of something in my body that I thought, oh, and he's really good looking. But it wasn't his looks. It was this, he was kind of taking off his glasses as he approached the table and I almost got dizzy. Wow. And it's, I say to people, because now I've gotten all my girlfriends on the site instead, don't get into a conversation online. Because what people write and say is beyond what you feel when you're in their presence. Good-looking photos. Listen, I, I didn't meet any ugly guys. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't meet any crazies. I just didn't meet that thing. And and so my husband, you know, I hadn't gotten in conversations with people. I learned my lesson because as soon as you do, you sit there in real life and they have nothing to say. Yeah. So I sit down with my husband and we start talking. And he has such a fascinating history. He came here at 20. He uh, His parents don't even know what he was doing. He... This is before the internet, and he got into college and went to FIT and then went to Columbia and became an architect. And But we were sitting there, and so also I had to admit I was an actor, because I wasn't going to lie. Usually within 15 minutes, I'd say, oh, nice meeting you, Vanessa, yeah. I'm leaving. But I told him that I was an actor, and he said, why are you an actor? And you just... So I had seen Motherfucker in the Hat. This is my story. Did you see that play? No. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. Motherfucker in the Hat on Broadway. It is Stephen Idley Gergis. I haven't even heard of this show. I can't believe I would, oh, I would not remember the Chris name. Chris Rock, Annabella Shiora, oh who I met on at a voiceover audition the other day. Okay. Of course, I get there, and I think, I'm leaving. Annabella yeah. Shiora is here. So I got to tell her how incredible she is, and she said... 
Thank you. Everybody needs to hear that. And I was like, God, I'll tell you again. So You're one of the sweet. best actresses that ever walked the earth. Um, God, you got to help me with these names. I, I can't believe I'm not remembering. Uh, Bobby Cannavale. Mm. And I can't remember the name of the other lead actress. Uh, so The Motherfucker in the Hat is a play about, I saw it on Broadway, it's a play about just marginalized, like, Hispanic, Latino people. She, the first scene, she's doing coke and cleaning her house, talking to her mother on the phone, this Latina woman in New York, and I think, oh, my heavens, what on earth does, like, white middle-class me have to do with these dark, you know, people who are doing drugs, and her boyfriend just got out of prison, and he's jealous, and it was... It was an astounding play about how we all need to connect, how we all need validation, and what we have to do to allow ourselves to be loved. That play was just earth-shattering to me. I could not get over it. So I say to my husband, that's why I do what I do. I, if I can get up on stage and show people that we all just want to be loved and validated and needed and heard, then I've done my job and I can die happy. And I said, why are you an architect? And we disagree about what he said to me because it's what I heard. <laughs> but he said, you know, I design a building. I design a space. And beautiful, it doesn't matter. Useful, that's the most important thing about designing something. But if in the tiniest detail someone sees that a need or a feeling or something that they didn't know they wanted is fulfilled, then I've done my job. And so that's how I heard he explained him, he'll re-explain it. But I felt like we both understood each other that art, there are all these grandiose things that people want to do, but I just want to show people that we're all human and that we all feel and we all want to connect. I mean, I'm connecting with my mother. And it the fact that he took me seriously after I said that, I remember he was telling me about architecture and I got a shiver and he got a shiver and we got emotional and it, I just felt this intense connection to him. Yeah. And that's my whole life. People said, oh, you know, when you find the one, you'll know. I knew, honestly, in that coffee date. So had you dated actors previously? Like in, in I, I had dated yeah. actors. Mm -hmm. And I, I love actors because they understand what you do. Mm -hmm. They're jealous in ways that are not cool, but... Yeah, that's the part for me that's interested. always like... It always felt like... I mean, I, I've dated very, very few actors, but even the ones... For me, the ones I ended up with, it always felt like it was a little bit of a, like... Not a competition, but... It just felt weird. I, 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 I vastly prefer being with an accountant. Well, <laughs> now I'm going to be sexist when I say this, yeah. but I have the right to be. Male actors and female actors are not the same. Right. Um, and I've, I've always felt completely supported by other actresses in the community. I mean, how many times you and I see each other at jobs? Oh, did you get it? No, I thought you got it. I thought you were going to get it. You, did you get it? Oh, she got it. Yeah. I, I feel like, and I say to my friends, we're the usual suspects. Mm. We're the same age, we're the same thing, and we see each other and we wish each other well. Sure. And male actors, I think it's it's harder on their egos. Yeah. Um, well, I do, I think, and, and generally, again, this is a, 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 a generalization, but men tend to be more competitive. Even if you look at the things like the income disparity between mm. men and women, mm. uh, there's, some, there's some school of thought that says this because women aren't very good at negotiating or asking for more, and men are constantly asking for more and constantly negotiating, and it's like that in the acting world, too. I do well, think there's a different personality between a male actor and a female actor. I think you're very right about that. Well, and in our business, you know, unless you're famous, you can't be negotiating. Right. I mean, we're pretty much scale. Yeah. So <laughs> negotiating is funny. And, and older actors, you know, actors in our age bracket, mm -hmm. their egos take it harder. It's mm -hmm. easier for me to say, oh, I'm lucky I got this job and what can I get? And mm -hmm. I do have agents that do that kind of complaining for more money. Mm -hmm. But I'm also realistic about what I'm going to get. Uh I remember I was doing a recurring character on Law and Order Criminal Intent, mm. and it was a guest star. It was I was playing Faith Yancey, who was basically Nancy Grace. I still think I'm going to do the biopic <laughs> of that woman. And they were, you know, trying to not give me guest star money and this and that. And I said to my agents one day, I care more about where my title card is, where my name is, than the money. 
And my agent said, you're crazy, but I'll see what I can do. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of those episodes. I got my, you know, I always got my title card, but I shot nine scenes in one day. So I got a day rate, not a guest star rate. Oh. And, but maybe women can do this. I recurred several times after doing that. I had an amazing time playing that job. And I remember the job, not the paycheck. So, and, you know, I'm in a lucky place where I can complain because I'm making a living and I'm doing well and I'm happy. But it it is something I think men focus in a different way on who's making what. Mm -hmm. And women tend not to do that. I've never asked a woman how much she makes. I just, it wouldn't occur to me because I don't care. I, I just get so annoyed with men when they, when they, if they feel competitive about what, what, what their partner or woman, any woman is getting in terms of the business because there's so much more, many more parts for men. They have no right to complain about anything. Watch any movie. How many male roles are there versus how many female roles? I mean, it's getting better. I'll give it that, but we got a long way to go. Oh, we have a long you know? way. I do think it's getting better though. Yeah. Oh, I it's definitely getting better. I do think that better. there are a lot more parts for women past 40 than there yes. ever have been. Yes, that's absolutely happening. But still, in the United Town, like New York, when we have shows, shows like Blue Bloods or Boardwalk or any of these shows that are shooting, that are just male-driven. Well, anyway. True Detective. Last mm-hmm. weekend, my husband and I stayed in and watched True Detective because he had a cold. Mm-hmm. Um, that TV show is astounding. Mm-hmm. Uh, the character studies of Woody Harrelson and McConaughey, oh my heavens yeah. to Betsy, oh, <laughs> crazy. My only bone to pick with that show, and I'd love to meet mm-hmm. those guys, is the women. Mm-hmm. Uh, Moynihan was fabulous, but she was too young, and she was abused, and she was, and she was, but, you know, like she was being treated yeah. like shit, and she was. But she know. was so gorgeous that yeah. come on, and she didn't age in the same way. The, the great thing is that they yeah. aged those guys. And my husband said, "How did they do that?" And I said, "I don't even want to know. I don't know if it's wire on their faces." <laughs> But Moynihan, you know, so, and then my, my killer to me was the young prostitute that mm-hmm. he saves and then he sees later. And of course she wants to bang him because that's, that's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, if you start hooking at 12 or 14, you're just not going to look like a Disney star. Yeah. It's going to be in your face. And I thought, couldn't we get that messed up face that's still sexy? Couldn't we? Well, True Detective has taken a lot of heat of, of the show's attitude toward women, and we'll be we will be thrilled to hear that they really are not getting any better in the second season because the characters one one of them is a a, a person who's had drug problems, and the other one is like promiscuous. It's like it's like they can't have a a real woman. It's like these caricatures of these God. troubled, you know, damsels in distress. But they but all anyway. look amazing. They, all look, they like all look like LA actresses. Yes. That's what drives me crazy. Is <laughs> They can't all look like L.A. actresses. They have to look like real women. All right. Well, Geneva Carr, you are fantastic. Where can people um, find you if they want to follow you on the Internet? Are you you a social media guru? Do you do Twitter? Do you do that kind of stuff? No, I guess I should. I've got (laughs) Facebook. That's all I got going on. (laughs) But she does have a website. If you want to check out Geneva's work, you can find her at GenevaCarr.com. Before I let you go, I always ask this, this question. The typical person listening to this show is out in the hinterland somewhere, and they are a young person thinking about embarking upon an acting career. What's your advice for that person? Go for it. Go for it. Whether you go to school, whether you don't go to school, just this is the one life you got. Go. All right, that's going to wrap things up for another edition of Everything Acting Podcast. Don't forget, you can support the show by subscribing in iTunes, by buying our app, by telling your friends, by coming over and visiting our Facebook page and telling us about your auditions and looking for support out there on the Facebook page. And you can support Roz's endeavor by going where? Oh, why don't you go on over to um, actinginthedigitalage.com. When do you, is our new semester starting? Our new semester starting in January. Absolutely. Oh, and that's a really good thing to ask for, for a Christmas present or a Hanukkah present or a Kwanzaa present or a whatever present. Christmas, Chanza, Hanukkah, whatever that Christmas, was. Christmas, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa? Yes, that one. <laughs> All right. So guys, we're going to have a bunch of new episodes coming up before the end of the year. We are committed to, I think, doing four. We'll have a bunch of shows up between now and Christmas. And I'm super excited about the guests that I have on my end. And I know you are too. Yeah, I am too. All right. Bye, everybody. Yep. Have good auditions. Let us know how you're doing and we'll see you next time.